But then when you get into leading, you're going to look at, you know, how is the ice? You know, I always like to say what's trending, you know, so we could have had a really solid winter and then you have this warm spell, say you have these 50 degree days and then it freezes right back on Thursday. And some people might say, well, that's good. It's cold. But I look at it like, well, just kind of flash froze and that's going to do some different things to the ice. Sometimes they call it dinner plating because it, it didn't really slowly bond. It kind of just melted it and froze really quick. So you actually get some shattering. That's why they call it uh, dinner plate ice. So I'm looking at the route. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to see what's some good ice. You know, if it's baby blue, it's really good. If you start to see some rock behind it, which could be like grayish or black coloring, uh, the ice could be a little thinner. Maybe there's some air in it. So I'm trying to look at the route before I start to climb to see also if there's any little ledges or small little platforms, like where would I be in a really good, comfortable spot where I'm not going to have too much energy I'm going to have to expel to place a screw. Because that's a really big thing too. It's not just reading the ice, but it's tiring, you know. Bushwhacks were some of uh, the worst days I've ever had in the mountains, or life, really. I, and I tell people all the time, never underestimate the Catskills. Yeah, you, you can't underestimate them. Why the Catskills is such a great place for trout. It is really the development of New York State. Catskills were responsible. Now you're listening to Inside the Line, the Catskills. Hope you got your drink, so. Yep. All right, so we'll talk about that later. So welcome to episode 101 of Inside the Line, the Catskill Mountain podcast. Tonight, I have my friend Joe Galvin here, and we're going to talk about ice climbing. Perfect time to talk about it because we're getting into that time of where it's getting colder. Ice is starting to form. Hopefully, people will reckon get into the the regular hiking like method method time of getting just their spikes and hopefully they just don't jump right into ice climbing right away because there's definitely a lot you need to know so once again episode 101 joe's here how you doing joe hey stash uh doing good doing good thanks for uh having me on yeah i'm i'm excited to have you on here uh can't wait to talk about ice climbing i've always kind of wondered different questions and how the hell do you guys do this uh, on a, you know, at times? <laughs> it's just amazing. So let's talk about how uh, we just had the episode 100 celebration up down at Kim's Catskill in Tannersville. It was awesome. Great turnout. I got, I know it sounds a little low, but like 20, 30 people showed up. I, I, I was very flabbergasted by the support. Um, cool thing is, we did a raffle and we raised around $400 for the Catskill trail crew. So cool thing. Uh, thank you once again to everybody who showed up and uh, just anybody and anybody who participates and listens to the show. Really, really thankful for that. It was a fantastic time. Let's hope we can do that again. It was very stressful, Joe. I don't know if you've ever done something like that, but you know, I used to be in a band and this was just pretty, pretty crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I'd imagine this was a pretty big gig. Yeah, huge congrats. It's a really big milestone, a 100th episode. That's a big deal. So that's awesome to have the people 
support you. I'm sure you had many more people that couldn't make it. I know myself, I really wanted to join in, but was away. But podcasts are awesome. And the fact that you're keeping it going and the 100th episode, that's great. I appreciate it, man. I thank Trailbound Project, too, for supporting me and uh, kind of believing in me because, you know, sometimes you're just like, eh, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. But, uh, you know, having support, <laughs> having, having you know, people listen, stuff like that is, is really fantastic. And having that tight group uh, community in the Catskills is very phenomenal. So, uh, once again, everybody, thank you for showing up. For anybody who's listened to the podcast, the 100-episode celebration was a great hit raised over $400 for the Catskill trail crew. So once again, thank you. And Joe, once again, thank you to trail bomb project. I know it was, it was a weird time to have it too. 3 PM on a Sunday was just very, very odd. <laughs> so sorry about that to anybody. <laughs> no worries. All good stuff. Yeah. So we'll have that next time. If we have it, you know, 200 episodes, whatever, if anybody wants to have a celebration or something, we'll do it at, a Saturday, probably like two, three PM. So I've I've learned. So also, <laughs> Joe, uh, there's been craziness. You know, this this previous year we had wildfires up in Quebec and Canada and stuff like that coming down through you know New York State and pushing all this smoke into here, which I've never had in my life in my lifetime before. It was really really crazy. And now you know, the other day I was outside and my friends just like you know sends me a message. Did you? smell that smoke and stuff and i'm just like what smoke so i finally took a step outside and i was like holy crap i can smell that a little bit and finally looked up or i finally like looked into it and there's two wildfires that are happening that are pretty big down in in the southern states there's one happening in virginia and one happened in north carolina and it's just uh it's it's pretty crazy to to you know say stuff like this and to experience this in new york state because you know i'm 41 years old and i've never experienced this ever in my life have have you no i could really it is crazy it's it's mind-boggling even the fires from california i think the first time the smoke came all the way over here was it a couple years ago it was really crazy and now it's almost expected it's like oh when the sunsets start getting really crazy and beautiful it's like oh that's the california fires but i'll side with yeah. you when it happened this year and i heard that it was from up north in quebec and in that kind of northern area that was definitely a first in my lifetime being 32 and i was like yeah. wow things have really really changed you know new york state growing up in new jersey you know not really something we're accustomed to yeah exactly and you know and then now we we talk about wildfires down in virginia and north carolina which is just absolutely insane this one in virginia is uh not even it says it's two percent contained and this was as of november we're recording on the 21st so this is november 18th it says two percent contained and they're thinking about bringing machinery in to battle this fire now the thing is is this is a wilderness area so they want to basically make this like as wild as possible let's say let's let's say that that they want it to go through because it's a wilderness they can't really bring machinery they can't do much unless there's like amazing you know petitions or something around laws like that that could maybe advance this to to do this but they said this is an emergency so we need to bring in machinery like uh bulldozers stuff like that to help protect this area so it stops coming in and they're talking about using you know, blowers mist blowers leveling stuff and uh 
down in Virginia, once again, it's just absolutely looking at pictures. I, I saw pictures recently and I saw one picture that had a big red dot or a small red dot in the middle of the picture. And it basically looked like a lens flare, but somebody pointed out that it was the sun. And we've seen that before up here. But, you know, at, at sunset, you're like, oh, that's that's pretty crazy. But this basically looks like an apocalypse is happening. And to say this down in Virginia is is once again insane. Yeah, it it's crazy. It, I feel like every year there's just these new milestones being made, you know, down south, up north in Canada, California and Washington fires coming over here. It's so crazy how things have changed in just a couple of recent years, really. Yeah. And, and we, we know, I mean, I don't know, Joe, if you've ever been down to Virginia, but it's, it's kind of similar, very similar to the Catskills, just an, an uplift in, in the area. And it, it's tough to battle in the East coast somewhat, you know, with, with planes and bulldozers and, and stuff like that. Usually out West, they just let it go until they can find a spot to where they can just fight it off. But like here, you know, we have a lot, a lot more homes that, that are right around the corner different stuff like that that they need to to consider to have consideration and they need to to fight this fire and uh once again just crazy stuff and the same thing is happening down in in north carolina it's 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 really crazy that to, to say that this fire that as of once again the 18th oh, excuse me 18th is zero percent contained on the east coast to say that on the east coast that it's zero percent contained 2500 acres uh it's just absolutely crazy and this closed part of the blue ridge parkway for about uh let's see it says oh for about like 20 miles almost 20 miles on the blue ridge parkway has been closed due to this matt's creek fire which is once again north carolina you do not hear about this maybe a little bit in you know like tennessee has a little fire because you know they have the conifers all over the place but something to say that it is closed for 26 miles is just absolutely crazy in the east coast the appalachian trail and stuff yeah it's that's insane that's completely it's crazy yeah so some of the new stuff that's just come up it's just once again mind-boggling and uh different such events is just really really odd i don't know it's keep getting weird like you said it keeps getting weirder and weirder <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah everything is uh changing and taking different turns than what it used to and as we grew up <laughs> correct correct um so far today uh i got the the new york state uh dec reports and you know it's been a quiet past two two months i would say in the catskills and we had kind of like one situation here in the town of hardenburg which is right outside of like uh hockett and, and around that area with the nice beautiful waterfalls and such and uh november 18th once again three days ago because recording on 24 first 2 p.m forest rangers horn and sweeney overheard radio traffic regarding an injured hiker in hardenburg 67 year old from margaretville fell and injured his head ribs and leg so fire departments from arkville fleischman's hawkettsville margaretville Packaged the patients, began evacuations. Ranger Horn and Sweeney assisted with the half-mile carryout, so it wasn't too far from probably a trailhead or the road. But there was a helicopter that uh, flew the hunter to the hospital, so he must have had some pretty serious injuries. And uh, happened at 2 p.m. Resources were clear at 6 p.m. So, good four-hour rescue 
Uh, thank you once again to the fire departments and the Rangers fire departments act probably very swiftly down there. They, they're very tight knit group down there. So, uh, thank you once again. And, uh, Joe, Joe knows about this stuff. Joe is on search and rescue in New Jersey. And, uh, once again, these, these incidents, this looks like an accident that happened. So it's very unexpected. And, you know, it's not like somebody went up on, on blackhead mountain without microspikes and <laughs> was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely uh we'll see if this this starts to pick up in a little bit due to white right now i don't know joe what you're experiencing over uh where you live in troy but right now i think i'm getting a little bit of rain and freezing rain right now and that's going to change the terrain in the catskills so much we we all know that i don't know what, what are you experiencing over there yeah absolutely uh Pretty much the same thing. Start off with a little bit of snow, changing to freezing rain. I think throughout the night, it's going to eventually give in to just rain. But as we know, even just straight up rain completely changes the terrain. Uh, makes things very slippery, makes slopes and trails that might not think much about it. Now, all of a sudden, have some hazards to them. And you throw in some cold temperatures when things start to freeze. Things can get interesting. Yeah, exactly. And we all know, uh, if you've hiked before... Down low, different temperature than up high. So I guarantee there's going to be freezing stuff, and then all of a sudden it's going to change to snow up top. I heard above 2,500 feet is going to get more than two inches of snow, and then I heard above 3,500 feet is going to get around four inches of snow. So once again, pack those micro spikes. Get them in the pack. They should have been in the pack over a month ago. So get in, get them in there. Do what Joe does, probably follow the uh, <laughs> the the standard basic <laughs> procedures of hiking and ice climbing, which we'll talk about later. So, Joe, I'm going to get onto the supporters, some sponsors, uh, and then we'll we'll go into some coffees and stuff like that. We'll go into the regular discussion, okay? Sounds good. So thank you once again to the monthly supporters, Darren White, Vicky Ferreira, John Comiskey, Jim C., Michael Bongner, David Mead, Matt Smith, and Denise Weiss. Guys, thank you very much for supporting the show. Also, thank you to Trailbound Project, hiking and backpacking school located in New Jersey. Joe right here and Scott from New Jersey Search and Rescue Team have amazing backgrounds in Wilderness First Aid, Wilderness First Responder, and Mets Mountain Rescue Association. And they are here for you to learn old and new skills of hiking and backpacking. They teach anything from first aid, map and compass, backpacking, and many other skills that could help you and others while on the trail. Check them out on all website and all social media platforms. Also, check out Outdoor Chronicles Photography. Molly from Outdoor Chronicles Photography specializes in adventure elopement and adventure couple photography in the Catskills, Adirondacks, and the White Mountains. She is also an officiant for getting married and a licensed guide, but she is an amazing story maker. Molly won't just give you photos, she'll give you memories that will last forever. Don't hesitate to get a hold of Molly on all platforms. Check out her social media platforms. They are absolutely phenomenal, filled with amazing pictures. Uh, so, Joe, let's go right into what you are having to drink, my friend. I am having Sam Adams Winter Lager Festive and Smooth. Seasonal. Haven't had this one yet. Seems pretty good so far. So far. <laughs> I mean, after that, it's it's <laughs> if it's so far, if it's beginning stages, that's so far. But after that, it just keeps getting better and better, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the first couple of tastes are good. Then uh, you're in the clear. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly i am having a, a wagers cider mill from of uh, penyan i had this back a while ago it's just smashed hard cider 
the alcohol content is 6.9. It's not bad. It's actually very good and very tasteful. I'm not like I'm not like you. I'm not a beer drinker. I drink liquor and I drink hard cider. And this hard cider is absolutely phenomenal. The only crappy thing is you can't get it shipped to you. And I really, you know, it's a three hour truck for me. It's probably like a five hour truck for you <laughs> to get over the Penyan. Yeah. So I'll have to have my friend Chad. He's he uh lives over there. I'll have to have him bring him over when he gets some stuff. But so we got some Sam Adams winter lager and some wagers hard cider. So but once again, uh volunteering has kind of come to a to a halt because of the winter season. It's really tough to volunteer in the winter. But uh, once again, check out for next year, 3500 Club, Catskill Trail Crew, Catskill Mountain Club's Visitor Center. Uh, anywhere we can, we can volunteer is absolutely phenomenal. On the 100th episode, I had a very good chat with a bunch of volunteer organizations, 3500 Club, um, the Catskill Center. Great, absolute amazing organizations to volunteer to. And once again, any volunteering is absolutely worth it. And it uh, helps out our area immensely uh once again if you need stickers email me uh i have a, a contact itl catskills podcast at gmail sorry it's very weird i don't even know my own or s-r-u-s-i-n 82 at gmail uh check them out or go to camp catskills there's some i got new stickers now so if you guys want stickers i got new stickers that are actually really really cool um so yeah i didn't do any catskill mountain history damn Give me, give me one sec, actually. I can find something. Give me one sec. All right. So uh, as, as we all know, tanning and bark peeling was really huge in the Catskills. Once again, if you could drive down the Catskills right now, actually, is a perfect time. Plus, in the winter, you will not. you The only places, basically, you will see some conifer trees and stuff like that is more up higher on the mountains. It's because these tanning industries and these bark peeling industries ripped apart these mountains these mountains were once bare until they couldn't really get up to the spots that they could get to above you know some ledges or stuff like that even so they would they would make their way around ledges just to get to these trees now bark cutting uh season basically took place in the spring and early summer and uh that was the time that the sap flowed into the hemlock trees and Definitely, they could uh, remove bark easily with a tool called a spud in this in this bark and iron, which was booked like a, a thin spade or shovel, process a spoon-shaped blade into its end, and according to one old timer, was a tool to its respect. It was a wicked good thing and a heavy one with a blade into it. Now, a lot of this was a very dirty job. This was a job that basically everybody comes home, you know, you come home from being a mechanic or stuff like that, you know, you have some oil on you, you're black, stuff like that. You wash that off with the the orange grime kind of stuff. Tanning was way different. They would have sap all over them. It would be sticking to them. It would be dark. It would be light. They would not see it. Pull off their hair on their, you know, if they were a hairy guy like me, pull off their hair. So they would quickly throw out their 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 clothes easily. And uh always became impregnated with the slime and leaves would stick to them twigs would stick to their shirts and their trousers they all became heavy and rigged back in the days and they could they really said that because of how heavy the sap was and how thick the sap was they could stand up against the wall at night it was absolutely insane and then during that time the spring and summer we all know freaking insects are insane during that time 
black flies are coming out, regular flies are coming out, and they would just stick to them almost like like insect uh, paper and stuff like that that you have in your your house or something. They were always biting, always flying over them because they were delicious for the black flies and every other insect, and they would just like they said they would kill you a cloud of warm weather uh mike todd who grandfather had cut, cut bark and uh they would basically want to douse themselves in in fire just to get this stuff away and very many fires at night were lit they would just throw all this this these trees that they cut down for the bark and just try to get the insects away and uh shanties were suffocating with smoke and the bugs were so bad that the men slept with their heads stuck in the feed sacks that what the, wow this is just man what this horrible time to be be alive <laughs> and as a result of these conditions the bark peelers were tired at the time and often displayed a haggard and exhausted look one bark peeler remembered his days in the woods and he writes at no other work in the forest did we suffer tortures of so many kinds we panted for breath in the dead hot air of closed gates in which hemlocks chose to grow swarms of mosquitoes found their way to every part of our thinly clad bodies black flies chewed our frest and realized raised our great wealth but in the early days of jives these torments finally ceased and when the bark peeling season came to an end a and throughout the southern catskills on july 4th both the birth of the nation and the end of the season were celebrated with enthusiasm out of the depths of the forest came exhausted but now but now easily uh influenced bark peelers once who had reached their civilization drank large quantities of alcohol fought each other lustily and generated and had riotous good time everyone however did not approve such practices nor did these hard-working men approve of it either they basically said that every time they came out of these forests they would have a great time and they would get super drunk and i, I can't blame them because being out there you know back in those days they didn't work eight hours like the, we did they worked from dawn till dusk so we got spring you know it's probably you know eight hours and then it, that extends to a good you know it was 12 6 probably you know 16 to 18 hours a day at times and these guys were probably much more people who worked on the railroad coal mine stuff had the same same kind of like job but i gotta admit like sounding like these bark peelers the coal people had to deal with you know the breathing and stuff like that uh these guys had to deal with everything whatsoever associated with the mountains and they worked so violently and, and rigorous throughout the, the catskills in the area that the catskills became the biggest place for tanning and at that time it was used for leather and, and and such stuff like that for fighting in wars and ripped the mountains apart and it was just a, a crazy time and the catskills became famous at that time and then also at the same time they got ripped apart of everything and just to, to hear about those times of tanning and the industry in that area will it's just always blows my mind just to think you know once once the time you're you're standing on top of the fire tower in hunter mountain you look around you see these counterfeit trees but below southwest hunter was ripped apart and a part of the, the mountain was just absolutely gone of everything and the same all over the areas except for the parts that they couldn't reach up higher in the higher elevations and uh once again just absolutely insane stuff with the tanning industry to th to think that 
this once was the way of ripping apart the mountains and of their trees to do very to to be honest to very very little reading about uh how they sat in sap in their water and stuff like that and they used for very little the whole tree for a very little amount of leather was just absolutely insane yeah that's all crazy to hear about <laughs> yeah the tanning industry was was just huge in the catskills and just reading about this uh this was came from bob student's book heart of the catskills to read about you know something that i would at the time destroyed the catskills you know we were full of of conifer trees all over the place and and you know hemlocks all over the place that held the the terrain together and such and now just it's all wiped out just to to, to hear that it's just absolutely insane a bunch of crazy stuff so tan industry insane let's just say that <laughs> all right so <laughs> thanks joe for putting up with that catskill mountain history i always I always feel like I'm I'm pushing somebody through that that I'm just like, ah, oh, you gotta listen to this crap. <laughs> no, it's all good. History is important. <laughs> it is. It, it very much is. So I'm gonna do the last couple sponsors and then we'll get on to the discussion of the night. So is it time for some new gear for hiking in the Catskills? Say no more. Camp Catskill in Tannersville has all your hiking needs. Footwear, socks, moisture wicking shirts, freeze-dried meals backpacks catskill merchandise and more and especially micro spikes and now they have snowshoes so they have all the essentials for your hiking needs located in tannersville and online check out camp catskill also you can get stickers at camp catskill so stop there had a great time for the 100th episode ryan thank you very much for that really appreciate it also if you're ready to hit the trails make sure you take the scenic route scenic route guiding they're here to help you with your goals big or small like marcy or slider loan of the stewards Check out the Scenic Route Guiding and Gear Rentals on Instagram and Facebook for more information. Also, if you mention podcasts, you can get 10% off. Use the code Mountain Lion. Sarah Bacon, once again, thank you for coming to the show dressed up as a mountain lion. Joe, I'll have to show you pictures of that. It was absolutely <laughs> insane. She dressed up as a mountain lion for the whole thing, did not break her character. So check out Sarah and Scenic Route Guiding and her ladies are absolutely phenomenal in guiding through the Adirondacks and White Mountains. So Sarah, thank you once again. Also, check out Another Summit, a nonprofit program that leads outdoor adventures activities for veterans and first responders for free. Activities like walking or hiking or even backpacking and paddling trips. Check out anothersummit.org for more information and dates for future events. I plan on doing an event with them in uh july for the presidential traverse so i can't wait to do that awesome so let's get on to the guest of the night let's go joe galvin here is to talk about ice climbing in the catskills and the northeast so joe thank you for joining the show can't wait to talk about ice climbing how you doing tonight doing great yeah thanks for having me uh always awesome listening into your podcast and to be invited again uh is is really awesome so really just happy to be here thanks man appreciate it and appreciate uh joe's part of trail bomb project the hiking and backpacking school that's located in new jersey awesome stuff they support the show they do some great fundamental teaching of hiking and backpacking and uh i'm always interested in seeing your guys' stuff of what you do and i remember contacting with you and scott about setting you guys up for a vigorous backpacking trip of comp map and compass skills and I was like, Scott was asking me where we should go. And I'm just like, ooh, I got some places for you. And uh, 
I heard it was a great event and uh, they had a fantastic time. So check out Trailbound Project. Joe is a part of Trailbound Project. So also, Joe, let's uh, get into your background real quick. Go as far as you want into it as you, as you can. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, grew up in New Jersey, in Ringwood, New Jersey, which is an outdoorsy kind of area, rural, it's got lakes, it's got the hillsides of the Ramapo Mountains. So did a little bit of hiking growing up. Wasn't super into the outdoors, I'd say. I'd say it was pretty normal for everyone to hike around a little bit here or there. It wasn't until early 20s when I kind of started to get heavier into it. And I was already hiking in Harriman, different parts of North Jersey, and what kind of kicked things off into mountaineering and then into ice climbing was first real winter hike was actually Mount Washington in January, believe it or not. Wow. <laughs> That's kind of how I kick, kicked things off. Started off with that. We were in REI, I believe, a friend of mine, and we saw the flyer said Summit Mount Washington in the winter in January. Looked into it, thought it'd be pretty cool. Got the gear, showed up all fired up, but not really knowing much of anything. Uh, had a good time. We we did summit with some pretty gnarly conditions, uh, so we went through that, and it clearly just it went from there. It started doing things in the Catskills, the Adirondacks, uh, all over the Northeast, been out west, Europe, Mexico. Started really traveling all over the place. Got involved with search and rescue, and formed Trailbound Projects. So it's it's been a crazy journey. It's been like nine years since I first did Mount Washington, since I really started kind of hitting it. <laughs> wow. So basically you start off at, at the small mountains. You of course make your way up and that kind of builds uh, your confidence to get into the, like deeper and deeper into hiking. You go hiking, little small hiking in, in New Jersey and you go bigger hiking into the Catskills. And then did you do the Catskills first or the Adirondacks first? I did a little bit in the Catskills. Okay. A lot of people just start in the Adirondacks and then they're like, oh, the Catskills are there. Let's go check them out. So you're, are you a 30, you're a 35er, right? I'm working on it. <laughs> I, I am working on it. I'm not a complete 35er, almost I I... halfway, a little under halfway. 46er? 46er. Yep. Of course. Of course. Awesome. Awesome. So you've, uh, obviously hiked in the winter of course what built that confidence of of going deeper into the winter because i gotta admit ice climbing is for me freaking a little bit sketchy to see some of that stuff that you guys are doing yeah so it was really all incremental so like i said i started off more on like the mountaineering background went with uh i think it was mooney mountain guides uh through rei for mount washington in the winter so they Talked all about layering and got us really prepped. They guided us along the way. So I felt comfortable. I uh, was able to do that. And then from there, thought, what's next? <laughs> kind of like what we said, <laughs> go a little bit bigger, a little bit more challenging. Um, I then went out west, again, guided. Did a lot of things guided in the beginning. I was pretty into you know learning the right things, trying not to do too much trial by fire. So then I went out west guided again with a company called Alpine Ascents, uh, went to Mount Baker, was successful on that. Nice. We summited Mount Baker. Um, then from there, I actually found the Adirondack Winter Mountaineering School, which I instruct now. So that was cool to kind of have a full circle moment to be a student and then a few years later come back as an instructor. So once I went there, you're surrounded by a lot of 
renowned people that are been into the hiking and outdoors and the camping they're doing it for decades and really once i went there taught a whole bunch of skills how to be self-supported met some friends there started going into catskills and adirondacks in the winter time started doing stuff a little bit more self-supported learned a lot that way and then still sprinkled in some of the guided stuff so then went back out west for mount rainier um and then from there took on some of the bigger mountains like mount elbrus in europe uh down in mexico some of the volcanoes so it was meeting people along the way uh so started to do things self-supported as well and always sprinkling in uh, the guided stuff there too wow so i mean that that shows how important it is to to sometimes go with the guide to get that kind of the confidence that you need to tackle on what's next what higher not not sort of higher but what is a more riskier area to go in mount baker's huge i've heard that that is you know everybody does mount rainier or mount hood but mount baker is is very sketchy because i've heard of the the glaciers and the crevasses and the areas where you have to camp so that that's incredible mount baker nice and that was your first out west correct it was yeah it was 2015 wow. went out there yep <laughs> wow that's uh that's some crazy stuff to just like a lot of people go to rainier and hood first out west they don't go to baker that's that's pretty crazy what was your experience out there so first time out west period uh so it was just draw dropping just seeing everything out there's bigger trees are bigger wildlife's bigger the mountains are bigger so seeing <laughs> that kind of scenery i wasn't used to seeing those kinds of mountains where you're in these what they have the lowland hills but they're still really big mountains it'd be like being in the catskills and adirondacks and then you see these snow-capped huge volcanoes popping out of what seems like nowhere and it was just amazing to be in that that kind of scenery so once i had my experience out there i was hooked <laughs> you know you, you go out there and i was like i gotta try to come out here like every summer to to, to try to do something and the Catskills and Adirondacks are amazing locally to go out there. Still amazing parks. But that first experience out West to see those kinds of scenes uh, was just incredible. Yeah. So basically, uh, mountaineering involved it evolved you into ice climbing, correct? Yeah. As I was getting into all of that, it was always thinking about what's next and was always kind of eyeing up ice climbing it's like that seems pretty cool you know that's a little bit of a different animal uh so wanted to get into that and again started off pretty incremental went to some ice fests or mountain fests so in the Catskills I think it's rock and snow they put on an ice fest nice. at some point in winter which is hosted by a few local guides they have some clinics like intro to ice climbing intro to anchor building all stuff like that so I went to there uh, the Adirondacks, the Mountaineer, the store up there, they host a similar mountain fest. Uh, Mount Washington does the same thing. So I kind of took the same approach. I said, I really want to get into this. Not really sure how to do any of it. So let me take some classes, learn from some guides, and again, build that confidence. Like you said earlier, that was the biggest thing for me was to get comfortable with something. Once I like it, just be a sponge, kind of take it all in, and then just learn from people that have been doing it. And then really just start going from there that's phenomenal you know a, a lot of people don't like to admit that they went with guides and that they you know learn this from from other people that you know i hate to say it but they paid for 
but these people are paid to have in situations that could get you killed if you were alone by or by yourself or with other people that are inexperienced. So that's, that's absolutely phenomenal, you know, to do something in New Hampshire. Like if I wanted to climb Mount Washington in New Hampshire, I would either go to my, my friends that would were, were spent 30 years doing this, or I would do a guide because I know that Mount Washington is an insane spot in New Hampshire, let alone Baker, Rainier, Hood, volcanoes down in, in freaking Mexico. Like that's just beyond, but, <laughs> but you know, saying that you went with a guy that you took all this in and then now you're absorbing all this and you are learning from this and evolving from this is absolutely phenomenal, Joe. That's just, once again, shows you how tight the hiking community is and that we will, they will teach you and they won't be like, you know, let me teach you an ice axe this time. And then next time, if you come back, maybe I'll teach you something different. You know, they're, they're not like that. They're like, we're going to teach you all <laughs> aspects so you won't die. <laughs> basically yeah and that's a great perspective i think a lot of people like you said when it comes to guides might not want to admit it or they want to do things themselves i just kind of came at a different angle and kind of like what you were saying i was like i can get myself in trouble trying to do these things and these people do this every day <laughs> have yeah. been doing this for so many years and to just instead of going on Google and YouTube and listening to all this stuff, you know, you can just hang out with these people and just, you know, be around them, breathe in the same air they are and just pick their brains for a trip or a clinic. And you'll just walk away uh, with an infinite amount more knowledge than trying to go on the internet and find it out. <laughs> yeah. And you, with you being with the mountain rescue association, you guys have insane guidelines to go through. You have checks every time you go through I mean, we've been through, uh, with the Catskill Mountain Search and Rescue, we've been through a ropes course for two straight years with you guys. And going, like, it, I wouldn't say it's frustrating, but doing an hour of, of checks of every single piece of material is, is insane and crazy. But you understand after you do it, you're like, damn, this rope could have been broken, and then you would have fell 50 feet to your death. So it, it's crazy to think of that, but... It's also 100% smart to, to go through these insane checks that you guys have to do through the Mountain Rescue Association. Can you talk about your time with the Mountain Rescue Association real quick? Yes. This wasn't, this wasn't yeah, on the agenda. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's no worries. Uh, it's another thing that kind of keeps me ticking. So, you know, as I'm getting involved in all this stuff, you know, going to the mountains and getting into ice climbing in the middle of that, all of that comes New Jersey search and rescue. Uh, I was in the Adirondacks, I remember, and I was going up there pretty often and hearing about the rescues going on up there. And I always thought, you know, here I am kind of enjoying myself, you know, having fun and to think that, you know, some of the same weekends I was there, there's these rescues going on, you know, rangers heading out at two o'clock in the morning, going up Marcy, going up Algonquin. I just thought that was crazy. And I was like, it seems pretty awesome, though. I had a poll for it. And I knew somebody on New Jersey Search and Rescue from the rock climbing gym. They were kind of helping me out with some technical stuff before going out west. So I reached out to him and picked his brain a little bit said, well, if you're interested, come down to a business meeting and showed up, went to a drill. The rest was history. From there, New Jersey Search and Rescue has a mountain rescue unit, which is fully accredited in the MRA. You said the Mountain Rescue Association. So been on there for about six. 
six, almost seven years. And as you were talking about with the safety checks and everything, that's really when things kind of got to a whole another level because the MRA, there's only like six teams. Let me see. One, two, yeah, five, five or six teams east of the Mississippi River that you wow. wear that patch. We have two new we had two new teams that just joined this past year. So once I got involved with them and everybody involved in that community from the other teams, even going to conferences and meeting people out west, you're around these people that do these kinds of checks, like you said, that have an infinite amount of knowledge for decades in rope rescue and take things really seriously, really professionally. And learning from all of those people then carried out to the recreational career and it really catapulted things from then on you know how to handle yourself in all these technical environments you guys have been to some of the trainings you know when we do all these mock scenarios and then of course the inspections before the inspections afterwards all the logging being involved with the mra is what really built up a ton of confidence and then really having that back up everything i was learning from guides and doing things myself that's what really started taking things to another level <laughs> yeah just that uh, you know checking a lot of people think that those carabiners they buy at mall walmart for like 99 cents can hold 400 pounds when you're basically like hell no read the fine print on that that holds probably 75 pounds not even and you know <laughs> to get that from you guys to 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 learn, you know, once again, I have been in Catskill Mountain Search and Rescue. We have had, you know, we have these procedures that we have to go through for these, uh, these, uh, gear that we have to have. And those carabiners have to be of a certain type of certain weight and have a certain lock on it. And I guarantee that this is kind of like the same thing that you have to go through through ice climbing that you have safety guidelines that you have to do. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that's, gear intensive as you and me both know when it comes to these outdoor hobbies they come with an expense but it's all good stuff but yeah when it comes to ice climbing you know you have your carabiners you have your harness you have your helmet you have ice screws slings you have all these different things that go through that same regimen like you said with our trainings with you guys with cat skills search and rescue with inspections and really paying close attention to everything uh because you're trusting this stuff you know, so it's really yeah. important to uh, keep on top of it and do your inspections and make sure everything is good before you use it. And then really importantly, after you use it, because you never know what could happen, you know, throughout the day and everything. Yeah. So one, once again, like safety stuff that you need, helmet, proper carabiners, cr proper uh, ropes, definitely, because some of these people think that, you know, a, a paracord could hold oh so much when no you need these special, uh, amazing pieces of of rope that have oh so many twines in it and inside of it that have different little pieces of it that could save your life, which is absolutely insane. You know, I remember seeing you guys have a dissected rope and to seeing how many different particles are inside that rope to hold to support. You know how what what's what's the highest uh, level of like weight that's one of the, your ropes that you probably have? You got to have at least over a thousand pounds because different rescues require at least that much weight. Yeah, you know, being involved with the MRA and the rope unit, we we kind of geek out. We say with the math and everything. Uh, so some ropes 
uh, especially when you get to like 11 millimeter, get towards you know, 28kn and without getting too crazy in the math and getting nerdy a kn is also a kilonewton it's about 225 pounds wow. so without even doing the math in my head you know 225 times 28 you know that's you're getting involved with some ropes that can really hold quite a bit of weight there's other things that get involved with like putting knots in the rope and other things that affect affect the strength uh, but yeah, yeah we, we fall back to a, a certain ratio that we like to see where these are the the forces of the loads that we anticipate to see, and this is what our systems can support. So there's always a, a balance there as a ratio uh, we, we go with. But yeah, it, when you really dive into it, like we showed you guys, when you open up a rope or if you cut it and you look at the fibers and what it's made of and everything, it is pretty fascinating stuff fascinating that will save your life <laughs> in other terms and once again <laughs> safety is the number one topic in any sort of climbing is safety first and then i don't even know what number two is as of that because say it's always safety safety is the number one topic so one of the things uh do you have to, to train for ice climbing do you have any special training that you have to do yeah so like anything if you want to really excel at it and especially when it comes to ice climbing it's really easy if the technique or the form isn't there to really burn out in your arms especially uh even if you have good form it helps to have some upper body strength so it definitely helps to train a little specifically for it you know like anything having a good cardio base just keeping in good shape helps but ice climbing is definitely you know you're holding on to these tools with your arms and you want to be really efficient by using your legs predominantly but when people train for it, including myself, I try to get on the pull-up bar, I try to do some pull-ups, I try to do some hangs and you know different grip exercises. This way I can get my forearms and my grip strength and my back really strong uh, for all those kinds of difficult moves when you are holding on and you have to really fall back to some upper body strength at times. So that's the best advice I could give for specifically training for ice climbing. Now, once again, we talk about like, you know, upper body strength and stuff like that because we know we're, we're using ice axes and uh of course you know 10 point crampons correct like 10 point right or is it 12 point it's 10 to 12 uh and when it comes to the ice climbing crampons you can use the general mountaineering crampons but what's nice about the ice climbing crampons if you're trying to really get into it they have more aggressive front points so they're actually sticking out a lot more aggressively uh, where you, you could trip on them a little bit if you were to just walk on them, more like a mountaineering glacier crampon. Some of them have what's called mono points. They have a really long single point. Uh, and the point for that extra aggression is that you can kind of bite into the ice a little easier. Now, um, of course, coming about this stuff, they, they aren't cheap because once again, they will save your life uh, easily. And with a, uh, going for for ice climbing gear you really need to know what you're getting into you can't just buy the cheap stuff off of amazon and stuff like that you need to go through basically you know like like you you guys with uh the mra and through guides to learn about ice climbing what gear you should get and you shouldn't skimp out on gear and stuff and that's what's important is to have that the great gear that you have and the important safety check so being with with talking about that gear is is super important when when ice climbing because like i said you don't want to cheap out uh especially when you're risking your life on a 
sheer rock of or sheer sheet of ice going up vertical. No, absolutely not. Uh, especially with the technical stuff, because you you always want to fall back to good clothing, good layering, layering like we know with backpacking and hiking. But then when it comes to the technical stuff, you really want a good pair of boots. You really want a good pair of cramp bonds. You want to make sure things are sharp because uh, tips do dull. Uh, you want to have some good ice tools with you, good ice screws. Make sure they're sharp. Make sure everything's really good to go, uh, taking care of them after season, making sure there's no rust on them, drying them out each time because it is metal. So some yep. people could get done from a climb and then kind of put the screws or tools away and they go away wet and then you can have some rust on them. And we know rust and metal <laughs> doesn't usually uh, mix too well. Yeah. So being, being with that, uh, with the gear, would you have any recommended brands that you would suggest going along the way of, of ice climbing gear and such? Yeah, I would say as far as like the crampons go, I've had a lot of success with Gravels. Nice. You know, they have like G4, G14s, G22s. I will say crampons overall fit different boots differently. So what's a really oh, yeah. good idea is if is if you have your boots or if anyone listening that's looking to get into it is to go to some of these places like the Mountaineer, like Rock and Snow, or some of these other guide services you mentioned in the sponsors, and to get a good boot that fits you, and then try to, if they have crampons, see how it fits that particular boot. Because some crampons don't really fit certain boots uh, all that good. Um, so Gravel's a really great brand. You know, Try to get a good fit with that. When it comes to the ice tools, I think the most common ones I see are Petzl Corks and Petzl yeah. Nomex. I would say for starting out, Petzl Corks are a really good pair of ice tools that can pretty much carry you through most things until you feel like you want to take things to kind of the next level. And then I, I've noticed that the Nomex are pretty big favorite when it comes to that. And that, that will carry you through pretty, pretty well with that stuff. Excellent. Yeah. Pretzel, I, I have uh, for my, my harness, my safety harness and, and such. And I know Pretzel is a very good company that will, will back up their, their stuff. And a lot of professional ice climbers use it and support it and stuff. And, and Grevels, I, I didn't know about. So I will check out their crampons. I very rarely use crampons. Once again, for my mm -hmm. crazy times in the Catskills that I don't have <laughs> like you have. So <laughs> you talk about, you know, doing some uh god I'm, i don't know why i'm drawing a blank here but you know kind of like anchors and the ice screws and stuff now how i've always wondered when i'm seeing videos and stuff like that how do you you pitch a screw what is your standard procedure of like the next length where you're going here is it based on the ice depth is it based on your your height what what is it based on yeah it's a great question and uh little different between the route you're doing and everything um, what's great about nowadays with the internet and these guidebooks that come out there's local ice climbing guidebooks for the catskills there's local ice climbing books for the adirondacks and what i'm kind of getting at is with getting some beta and doing some research beforehand there's sometimes samples of what you should carry on your harness how many screws maybe the length of screws so for example for ice climbing there's different different lengths of screws you'll see something as small as like 10 centimeters maybe smaller then up to like 21 centimeters 
So when you're thinking about where you want to place them, like you said, how far apart and everything, sometimes you can get a, an idea of where you should place them on the route, give or take before you get there. Nice. And then when you do get there, a lot of times, a lot of times what I'm trying to do, and this is of course getting into like leading, you know, if you're going to set up a top rope, definitely for people listening that are starting out, try to find something you could just hike to the top, set up an anchor around a tree and then, you know, treat it just like a top rope as if, as if you're in a rock climbing gym. But then when you get into leading, you're going to look at, you know, how is the ice? You know, I always like to say what's trending, you know, so we could have had a really solid winter and then you have this warm spell, say you have these 50 degree days and then it freezes right back on Thursday. And some people might say, well, that's good. It's cold. But I look at it like, well, it just kind of flash froze and that's going to do some different things to the ice. Sometimes they call it dinner plating because it, it didn't really slowly bond. It kind of just melted it and froze really quick. So you actually get some shattering. That's why they call it uh, dinner plate ice. So I'm looking <laughs> at the route. <laughs> I'll try to see what's some good ice. You know, if it's baby blue, it's really good. If you start to see some rock behind it, which could be like grayish or black coloring, uh, the ice could be a little thinner. Maybe there's some air in it. So I'm trying to look at the route before I start to climb to see also if there's any little ledges or small little platforms, like where would I be in a really good, comfortable spot where I'm not going to have too much energy. I'm going to have to expel the place to screw. Cause that's a really big thing too. It's not just reading the ice, but it's tiring. You know, we're on our front points and then you're also holding on to ice tools. And now when you do go to place a screw on lead, you have one hand on one tool and then the other one's on an ice screw. So you have your three points of contact, but it can get tiring uh, if you're not on a good platform. So it's actually nice to look at the route and see what's a good resting spot. What are some half decent spots and try to plan things out that way? Maybe where you'd want to place your screws. Wow. Just a ghost to show you that it doesn't involve just climbing up a simple sheet of ice it requires a lot of brain power and a lot of, of power in your body just power all over thoughts stuff like that there's there's no like there, there's you shouldn't have too many questions and if you should you should probably bail because you're you're not doing it right <laughs> that's what it feels like for my end yeah, you know, they also say too, and I definitely stand by it, you know, and of course, this, some of the questions you're asking is getting into leading, talk about ice crews, where to place protection, you know, really, you should only be thinking about leading. And so you're super comfortable on that particular route or on that grade, you know, there's water ice twos, which are pretty rolling stepped out terrain, water ice threes has some vertical head walls to it you get to like water ice four it's very sustained vertical uh so sometimes if you're traveling around you could feel particularly comfortable on a certain grade um so yeah there, there's a lot of things that that definitely go into it <laughs> yeah once again safety safety is 100 percent important it just goes <laughs> beyond what i can think of so what about like uh some spots in the northeast i i mean let's go with the catskills first that you would recommend to beginners of course to start off with people that know what they're doing uh specifically guides mountain like you can maybe ask 
uh, Joe, how to start, but uh, what are some spots that you would recommend in the Northeast to beginners? Yeah, so for the, the Catskills, a really great spot that I brought some newer people to. St Stony Clove, the area itself is a really popular area, but there's a specific area in that called the Playground. They call it that because there's a lot of water ice twos and some threes, so it's very much easier terrain than other parts in the Catskills. And you can hike to the top, so then you can set up an anchor, and you can either walk back down, or if you're comfortable, you can rappel back down. So we talk about safety kind of throughout the podcast. So that's safer. So now you can just hike to the top. If you're comfortable with anchor building, you know, that's another skill. Then you can set that up and then you can walk back down. And now you're back at your rock gym. You know, you guys are both on the ground floor. You can set each other up on belay and then go up and down. And that's really nice. So playground, I recommend. Some of the clinics I took in the cat schools some of the guides led you might be able to set up a top rope is lower dark side um there's a couple routes over there and getting into some more i know you said for easier stuff but more challenging stuff which i believe you could still come in from the top to set up the top rope is the devil's kitchen in the cat schools that's some really longer climbs those are getting yeah. more water water ice for uh, but yeah, the Stony Clove area and definitely the playground for the cat skills. I'd really recommend. What about other spots? Uh, once again, once again, let's, let's just state that go with a guide, go with someone that knows their, their shit with this stuff, because this is not <laughs> stuff that you want to start out with on your own and you want to do by yourself or with somebody else that who's inexperienced. You want a person who is 100% experienced. So where else would you go? I know you like to climb up in the Adirondacks a lot. Yeah, Adirondacks too. Um, so a lot of spots off Route 73. It's kind of the famous road cutting through Keene Valley, getting into Lake Placid. There's a lot of spots. What's nice is roadside um, that really you can just park your car, pull over on Route 73, and you can see the ice climbs. I know one is called Pitch Off Right. There's Pitch Off Left. Again, you can just simply hike up to the top, very short walk, set up some ropes, and kind of get going the other thing i'll point out with some of these easier climbs in the catskills and the adirondacks they're also usually very accessible so they're really crowded um so if you are going to go you're going to want to try to get there early because it's the one couple of spots where hey i'm new i want to start out let me try some stuff these are the areas well everybody has that mindset <laughs> so they can get pretty popular. So the Adirondacks, I would say pitch off right, pitch off left are really popular. A bunch of spots on Route 73 right there are really, really popular. The quarry is one. That's that's much more steeper ice, but pitch off right and pitch off left is probably some of the more popular stuff. Uh, even in the whites, um, getting over by Frankenstein Cliffs. I started out there too a little bit with a guide. He had some, set up some stuff there, another area called the amphitheater. But locally around here, between Catskills and Adirondacks, I'd say Stony Clove, the playground, and pitch off right, pitch off left, some shorter climbs off Route 73. Nice. Route 73, the, is this the area like right above the, the little small ponds and lakes that they have? Because I've seen, I've seen. Yeah, so when you're going on Route 73, you have uh, Chapel Ponds, the first one to the yep. left. That's like the Mecca. That's kind of like. That's really epic. Uh, some harder climbs there. You could go oh. a little bit farther back, uh, which is called Chapel Pond Canyon. 
Uh, but if you continue to go on Route 73, especially when you get towards the two lakes, the Cascade Lakes, Upper Lake and Lower Lake, that's where some of the easier climbs are. Okay. And once again, like all other parts in the Adirondacks, you want to get there early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's like that all over the Northeast now. We we can't say just the Adirondacks, but uh, once again, I, I've said with, with New York State, I, I tried to bring this up in my last one of my episodes with the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast is we didn't get to be able to talk about it, but the, the parking areas compared to certain places of hiking compared to the Whites and compared to the Adirondacks and Catskills are absolutely insane. You know, you have places in the... the the whites that can hold hundred cards cars when you have places that are most popular places in the Adirondacks and they can hold maybe like 20, 30 cars. <laughs> it's just, it blows my mind. Yeah. It, I, I wish New York state would kind of bump up a little bit and we'll see what we got in the future, but we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, get there early climb with the, a, a, a person who knows their shit and uh, just be safe is 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 a big thing. Once again, safety is is important in all rock climbing, not alone just ice climbing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, like you you said before, when you were climbing, you you kind of get a sense. You kind of look at the ice and to see you can you can tell the different like levels of ice, like thickness, stuff like that, the different colors. So, is it good to be familiar with like the local weather patterns in, in the area to get a feel of what the ice is kind of like before you reach there? Yeah, it's a really great question. And it, it definitely is important to keep up on that because uh, there's different types of ice, of course, and the weather's going to have a huge impact on that. You know, I kind of mentioned what was called like dinner plate ice, you know, so say there was some warm or a thaw and then someone said, well, it's going to get to like zero tonight or like even like minus 10. So that's awesome. Everything's going to freeze up. But if you think about it, you know, everything may have melted the day before and then you just have this this flash freeze. So you're going to have this layer that did freeze, but it didn't really bond. And what makes ice really strong is kind of like a freeze thaw kind of cycle. You know, the sun might hit it, might thaw it out, might melt and have some runs, but then at night it gets cold. So it's kind of a little bit of thaw, a little bit of freeze. And it's kind of like like concrete kind of kind of just bonds but yeah. then when you have these irregular weather patterns um say it consistently stays warm some climbs that are south facing will take a huge hit you know the, it's warm out it's especially if it's above 32 degrees so the air temperature it's above freezing so things are just going to melt and then if it's facing in the sun the sun's rays yeah. really hit the climb hard so there's a term they call it baked you know sometimes i've climbed where the climb itself has been in for so long that if it has a couple of days of sun it's not going to go anywhere but it's like climbing up a snow cone you know you kind of just lightly stick your axe and it, it goes in it feels like half snow half ice <laughs> wow. uh, but routes that are more n- north facing are some things that you might want to look at at that time and i actually ran into that last year uh president's day weekend was climbing uh, with a friend actually up in the Adirondacks and there's some freak warm spells and I'm sure you're used to this in the Catskills too. Like we'll just randomly get 50 degree days with rain <laughs> or just yeah. random warm spells. So route 73, actually a lot of those climbs I mentioned face the sun. Uh, so we didn't want to go there. So we went into 
some areas like some canyons and some gullies that are north facing and in the shade and it was a whole different world uh like the north side of pitch off is where we went so it's actually in the other side of the cliff in this back canyon from what i mentioned and there's deep snow the ice is really fat because it's just in the shade the whole time yeah. so it was a total different world it was an awesome experience but yeah you want to keep up on the definitely on the weather pattern see where there's thaws see if there's any major thaws see if there's any kind of flash freezing uh especially if there's any rain or whatever so yeah, you definitely want to keep up on that you kind of paint you some pictures before you get there of what you might be dealing with potentially correct yeah and you know not being involved with ice climbing climbing but i i kind of know the the times you know north less sun once you said south more sun but sometimes you know having the south faced areas creates more ice correct because it melts and then it freezes yeah, what can happen on the south side is, uh, you know, even if it is below freezing, the fact that the sun's hitting it, it'll, you know, thaw a little bit, it'll melt a little bit, and it'll run. And then at night, you know, when it freezes, those climbs could really kind of build up. You know, I've come back to the same climb two, three weeks later. I'm like, oh, wow, this is much thicker. The flows are huge. And it's because of, like you said, it's it's seeing that sunlight. So it's actually kind of melted and then froze it melted and froze so the climb seems bigger you know it seems thicker and actually changes some of the features on the route so that's pretty cool too <laughs> yeah it's it's an ever like it's it's an ever-changing area basically because you know once again freeze thaw freeze thaw and then there might be a huge freeze spell and then on the other side you know there it'll just kind of keep freezing but it won't get thicker and thicker but then on the south side it might get thick and thinner and then thicker and thinner and thicker it's just so you gotta once again the local weather patterns might beat it with snow freeze it and then you have a, a thicker ice but then there might be a week or two of straight sun and then all of a sudden you just have a bunch of melting thin layers of ice where you would stick your ice axe into and it would just be like chink and it would fall down so that that's a you know that's a big uh, a once once again a big question of mine how when, when you're climbing up you know how many times depending on do you like check the ice you like do you have like a certain like one little like hit and then it's like okay it's thick and then just bang it in or is it like several multiple times yeah i mean I, ideally you know you don't want the more you swing obviously the more energy you're using yeah. <laughs> you know so if someone's swinging four or five times yeah that's oh it's really rough. Uh, well, one of the tips or tricks is, you know, you want to, there's concavities and there's convexities, you know, concavities kind of being, you know, when things slope down, kind of like a little cave, a little indentation where convexities are like a bulge. Uh, so when you swing, you want to go into concavities because uh, when you have a convexity, hard to baby picture through a podcast, <laughs> but the yeah, ice I know, is right? actually it's under tough, more. Tough. <laughs> but the ice or snow in that case even mountaineering is it's more under stress so if you usually when i have some new people around me and we're at the very bottom before we climb you know you just grab your ice tool and if you swing at some convexities or some bulges you'll just break them you know they'll just shatter um and you actually just created a concavity then because the bulge broken there's a little indentation and then if you swing in there you'll get a good stick Nice. And then this way down low, before you start climbing higher, 
you can just kind of play around. If I swing here, what does that sound like? What what does the ice do? Does it break? Does it fracture? Um, if I swing here, so you can kind of get an idea of reading the ice. And when you're within a really experienced ice climber, it's it's like watching ballet. They're so methodical. They're so slow. Uh, you know, they're doing something so cool, but they're kind of looking up. They're reading the ice. They're looking for those little concavities, and they just kind of like a surgeon. They kind of carefully give a flick, and they usually get a couple either in a swing or two, they get a really good stick versus, you know, kind of just blindly, you know, like swinging a hammer and just <laughs> kind of going crazy. So if you're able to kind of read the ice and kind of know where to swing, uh, you won't be stuck using so much energy by swinging four or five times. Amazing. Like it just, once again, it's, it's just blows my mind, you know, saying that ice climbing is not a lot of people don't do it for speed they do it for the kind of like the love of ice climbing it's just it just has that adrenaline rush like are you when you first start out when you're ice climbing at the bottom of of wherever you're at you know it could be amazing waterfall or just amazing cliff do you have like a certain like adrenaline rush and then you get into like a smooth flow when you're going up top or is it always an adrenaline rush because it would be always an adrenaline rush for me i was just like jesus <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i'd say comfortably a little bit of a blend you know you're at the bottom and you know you're super psyched up you know you're ready to climb and everything and then you know as i'm going up you know you're still ice climbing you know it's still like wow this is really cool you know you're going up a waterfall going up a frozen cliff you know it's pretty sick uh there's definitely focus and you know you kind of get into this nice rhythm you know you swing you take a couple steps you swing and, and as you become more, more efficient and more practice which is also another reason to go with experienced people or guide because the form your form is huge because it's, it's really common and very natural when you first go to kind of over grip the ice tools, you know, kind of like a death grip. Yeah. That I will not let go <laughs> by any means. And when you kick and swing, you're swinging and kicking for your life. You want to really make sure those those picks and crampons <laughs> right? are in when somebody experience is much more comfortable. And, you know, your spikes only have to go in like, you know, an eighth of an inch or even like a quarter of an inch. They don't have to really... Oh thinking home and and when you're actually your first couple of times you know you want to you want to see half that spike in there because you want to know like this has everything <laughs> yeah and that's you know that's what i was just thinking i'm just like when you when you're when i first would want to climb out on, on an ice like an ice cliff i would be like let me stick this thing in so hard so it gets thick but then the the strength used to do that every single time when you got to climb up will wear that you, you out and then all of a sudden you'll be out of out of strength halfway up your climb yeah so so there's a little you know adrenaline of course you're pumped up for it but then you know it gets into focus you get in your rhythm and then you know it's 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 really fun and you know getting up to the top taking it all in it's it's incredible so uh where's uh you, you've had some probably some crazy experiences let's talk about uh first your favorite experience being in the ice climbing aspect uh where was your your favorite experience and then we'll get into the craziness like your crazy experiences <laughs> like some favorite some experience favorite experience on the ice climbing oh they're all so unique i might have to pick a 
a couple. Hey, that's that fine with me, dude. Favorite. <laughs> I would say definitely when I was first starting, this must have been like a year or two in. I think I was up in New Hampshire, on the border of New Hampshire and Maine with a guide and we went up uh, Wiley's slide it was called so it was like a technical it was like a slide a lower grade slide uh, the guide was leading it but it was cool to do something that was a multi-pitch because when I was starting out you know it was all what's called single pitch they set up the top rope and you go up and down you work in your technique but to be multi-pitch was for my first time it was really really cool because here we are going up this slide on this mountain and, you know, we get up to the first pitch and he builds an anchor out of ice screws. And then, you know, I'm clipped in. And then as the guide goes higher up and then set up another anchor to pull me up, you know, I'm looking out and, you know, I'm just mid clip on these ice screws. And I was like, this is just so cool. And at that point, you know, didn't really fully know how to like place the ice screws, build an ice anchor. But at that time, the fact that I'm just climbing up the side of this mountain anchored midway up, you know, off these ice screws that was really really cool to kind of get to the top of the mountain that route versus taking the trail because we got up to the top and we took the trail all the way down and once i got on the trail it was just such a contrast of you know two different ways to get up to like the big viewpoint of the summit but you know we just passed by these hikers you know with the snowshoes and the normal hiking get out you know wearing harnesses and things are jingling and there's ropes and everything <laughs> that, that was that was really cool to, to to see that to kind of say, oh, this is really awesome. That's a that's a big thought I've had is you know passing by people where you've come straight up the mountain, going through this this ice climb, and they've come hiking up the mountain. <laughs> Have you ever gotten looks of like, what the hell are these psychos doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, you know, I've gotten that where they said, "How'd you get up here?" Like, oh, we took you know that slide or that route and everything, and they're like. That's crazy. You know, just two different get-ups. You got all oh, the yeah. harness and the rope and the helmet and everything. And, you know, they're in a cliff bar, you know, just hanging out. <laughs> wow. Um, I would say that was one of my favorite experiences. And then really when I started doing things kind of self-supported too, and now I started to relive the experience, but with friends. Now we're going up gullies in the Adirondacks or whatever. And But now there's no guide. You know, what are the guys? We're taking classes. We're taking courses. We feel experienced. Sitting kind of doing it on your own is another experience where it's like, wow, you know, we feel safe. We feel really efficient and it's fun. And now we're doing this on our own. It's cool to just be able to pull up and have the knowledge and the gear to start doing what you can out there. (laughs) Yeah, that's got to be really cool. Now, uh, have you taken people out in the Catskills? What's your your favorite spot in the Cat? I mean, you mentioned Stony Clove. Have you gone any places You'd have to say, like, uh, you know, I've heard Black Chasm is pretty good. The Platte Clove area is pretty crazy. Yeah, that area is good. As, uh, as far as taking people on the Catskills, it's been either the playground or, or Devil's Kitchen. Nice. Uh, Devil's Kitchen is some really long, steep routes. So that's really fun. And then the playground is great to just, I mean, I, I still love it, too. You know, they're like more they're shorter routes, so it's not as long duration, a little simpler. But, I mean still you're out on ice it's a day in the outdoors it's it's all fun (laughs) nice so any like kind of like sketchy life threatening i would say uh experiences that you had out there i'm kind of thinking every person who ice climbs gotta have one at least like oh shit kind of (laughs) moment nothing too crazy that i would say has been like 
life-threatening. Uh, but one thing to note that it has happened to me that, you know, it is a real thing is that, you know, you're placing ice screws when you're on lead and building an anchor. So it is metal and it is, if there's sun on it, you know, metal heats up. So what can happen is that ice screws can kind of start to melt out on you. Uh, so they're not there forever. That's the one thing between rock and ice climbing is that ice climbing, you're climbing up something that's not permanent. You know, if you want to really think about, you know, craziness, it it's not permanent. Yeah. So when the sun hits it, they can melt out. So it does help to take some snow. And when you place them to kind of cover them up, so it kind of preserves them a little bit longer. Um, I was never in really a serious, serious situation, but I've had them start to melt out where I am on belay for the next pitch. But before I move the screws, they're starting to loosen up. Uh, so that's something that, you know, if it's for a longevity time, <laughs> wouldn't want to wow. be there too, too much longer. Besides that, nothing too crazy, but I've had on a thaw kind of day with some freeze that, you know, when ropes become really frozen, I've been belaying somebody up through my ATC and the rope is just almost frozen completely, where as I pull it through the ATC, it's just spraying ice off the rope because it's just like a solid cable almost i'm trying to feed the rope through my atc and it's just because it got wet because there was some thaw so maybe the ice was melting still from the previous day's thaw but today is cold so now the water the rope is wet and it starts to freeze and i'm trying to get it through the atc and it's just kind of spraying ice so that's kind of cool <laughs> wow so another another thing you know when you're talking about you know the rope kind of like freezing and thawing and stuff like that is also a big thing is the shade can have a huge impact on the ice with you know like waterfalls you know you go up all of a sudden there's an opening in the waterfall and this part is completely not completely thawed out but way more thawed out than the shaded area and that's why you know part of like Catterskill Clove, Platte Clove, stuff like that is a whole different area to, to explore because there's exposed areas, there's unexposed areas. Same thing with going up in the Adirondacks, like you talk with the North and South areas, just uh, the, the the different aspects you guys have to, to battle during the times of when you're climbing up, risking your life of falling, you know, 200 vertical feet instead of us going up and sliding, you know, 10, 15 feet just blows my mind of like, I had to, I don't know, man. I don't know if I could ever do that stuff in my lifetime. I don't rock climbing was, was insanely difficult. <laughs> so ice climbing brings that to a whole nother level. <laughs> yeah. Like you mentioned, um, some climbs, like some waterfalls and everything, you know, depending when it is in the season, if we do get that thaw, like you said, the waterfall, all of a sudden is not so frozen and you're seeing some water. Sometimes if you don't get a good freeze, it, some climbs don't come back. You know, they might unfortunately fade out, you know, let's just say into February because they had a thaw. And then if we don't get that cold weather back, some climbs are done for the season. You know, some repair a little easier, like you said, especially if it's shaded. But some unfortunately don't. And some are just have very tight windows as is. It could be... Uh, a really thick waterfall and you might need really really good cold for two weeks or so and even then it's like a tight window to do it you know some people rush out for certain clients because they're like i heard this is in 
Uh, and then some climbs are much more reliable where, you know, they could take a beating and, and, and come back and whatnot. Crazy. Have you ever dealt with like a time where it's like kind of like, I wouldn't say overpopulated and you're just like, not say overpopulated, but you're just like, oh man, we can't go here. There's too many people here. Uh, have you ever dealt with that kind of before? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've dealt with that a lot. I've dealt with, um, sometimes, you know, there's a climb is almost filled and maybe there's a little area to sneak in a line or some people say, if you guys want to jump in something, sometimes that can happen is when you're in the newer areas, you know, we talked a little bit earlier on the show about convexities and concavities, where to swing. That's not just to get a good stick, but you know, as you're swinging on a bulge and you're breaking ice, you know, it's just fallen ice blocks that are, you know, coming down. Wow. They, they could be small, but who's, who has you on belay or is there people below you? So sometimes in the newer areas, if you have people just, you know, swinging like crazy and like madmen, um, there's a lot of falling ice. <laughs> so that, that could be a thing too, but I've definitely gone to areas and they're just really packed and, you know, I do have to go to someplace else sometimes. <laughs> and, and being with ice climbing, there's probably limited spots <laughs> where you can, where you can ice climb. So, Unlike, you know, the Adirondacks who has all these small mountains, big mountains that you can climb, ice climbing probably only has a certain percentage of that that you can climb, unless you want to be a real psycho and, and take on something that nobody else has ever done. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely the the main areas to climb in the Catskills and Adirondacks and other places. So, yeah, you most likely want to get there early. <laughs> nice. Okay. Rock on. So, uh Awesome, Joe. Thank you once again for talking about ice climbing. Really appreciate it. Uh, last question, post-hike brews and bites. Uh, where do you suggest to go? Doesn't matter in the Catskills, Adirondacks, New Jersey, uh, to have something to eat after, eat or drink after ice climbing or even just regular hiking. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I guess to talk a little bit about at least two of them. And, and the Catskills, you know, Brios, I feel like is just a huge hit for <laughs> for everyone. Hell yeah. Uh, and the Adirond and the Adirondacks, um, it's usually either Big Slide Brewery or if I'm on the Keene Valley side, I'll head over to the uh All Sable Inn. Nice. Awesome, man. That's great. Uh I will tag them in this and make sure people get in. So Joe, once again, thank you for joining me for episode one oh one of Inside the Line, the Catsco Mountains podcast. Uh like to thank the monthly supporters and monthly sponsors. Really appreciate you guys supporting the show, believing in the show. Thank you of everybody who have donated this show. And uh, thank you to everyone, of course, that's listening to, to make me keep going on and on and on and on. Hopefully we'll keep it on for another hundred episodes and uh, maybe Joe will come back and talk about something crazy. He's done out West again, maybe a volcanic freaking climb or something like that in the hood. Maybe your hood experience would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm always down. So, Joe, thank you for uh, joining me tonight. I hope you have a good night, and we'll chat later. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good night yourself. You too, man. Hey, guys, I just want to thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and throw down a smooth review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast platform that you use. You can also check daily updates of the podcast, hikes, hiking memes, and local news on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the official website of the show. Remember this, 
You just keep on living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Wicked, 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 